Hello my friends, this is Sarah from Weird Horizon, where we explore topics on the spooky, the esoteric, the countercultural, and the just plain weird. I apologise if you can hear any background noise, it has literally just started raining here, which is very nice and atmospheric, but if that comes through, I do apologise. I am aware that last episode there was a incredibly audible plane, but I just couldn't do anything about it. The plane just had to go out, I'm afraid. The plane was just a part of it in the end. So today we're going to be continuing our discussion on the Men in Black mythos, seeing it return in kind of exaggerated form as a method by which at least one agent working in Air Force law enforcement pressed a private citizen's interest in UFOs to help steer attention away from the top-secret classified information that he had accidentally stumbled upon. But instead of just aiming to silence this individual, they set their sights on attacking the UFO community at large through him. So in the last episode, we bridged the gap between the 50s idea of the men in black and the more modern idea of the concept the paranoia and suspicion associated with the myth and the lie of the men in black. So what happened exactly? How did this myth transform itself in the passing decades? Part of that answer might lie in what we would later term the Paul Benowitz affair. When Benowitz, by pure chance and accident, stumbles across evidence of a top-secret project taking place at Kirtland Air Force Base, close to his home in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He is met with a bafflingly cruel response. Benowitz was not visited in the familiar way we have been discussing. He volunteers what he knows readily to the Air Force Base security but the government response finds a new way to ensure that not only does he not share any potentially valuable information, but that through him they can launch an attack on the UFO community at large. Benowitz was not on the verge of a UFO breakthrough. He stumbled across his discovery. For the first documented time, an agent for the US government used his prior knowledge in the UFO community to push his kernel of an idea feed his paranoia, and ultimately drive him to the point of insanity. Building on the themes and the ideas of the Men in Black mythos, which the government had persistently refused to completely quash, this case took the noise and confusion of the early response to the ufologist and perfected it into a campaign that, like the Men in Black, has woven itself into US UFO history. My knowledge on this subject today comes from two sources. Firstly, the excellent book on the subject, Mirage Men, A Journey into Disinformation, Paranoia and UFOs by Mark Pilkington, which I cannot recommend enough. It focuses, as our continuing discussion will focus on, the case of Paul Benowitz and Richard Doty, the enigmatic individuals behind the case that would emblematize the willful confusion and fracturing of the UFO community by the US government and military, by those who, even as they were actively participating in falsifying a narrative of strategic benefit to the US, believed to a certain extent in their own lies. Or, if we are to stay generous, 
believed, as did the ufologists, in a root truth as shifting and implacable as mist. Secondly, Project Beta by Greg Bishop, precursor to Mirage Men and subtitled The Story of Paul Benowitz, National Security and the Creation of a Modern UFO Myth, focused on the story of Benowitz and from which I will get many details of the narrative. It goes without saying that there is a lot of debate surrounding these events, and to this day there is a lot that remains unproven or permanently shrouded in mystery. And as we will tell this tale, I'm sure by the end you will realise why. But in summary, you can view the Paul Benowitz affair as an extension of the disinformation campaign launched against the UFO community with the creation of the Men in Black mythos. And in many ways, realising many of the aspects that in the 50s seemed little more than paranoid delusion. To quote from Project Beta, To disinform is to give your mark just enough good stuff in a story that a cursory investigation will bolster the whole caboodle. If it is also what he wants and or expects to hear, then so much the better. Finally, if the target believes the story enough to act on it, your job is considered a success. For this reason, the Benowitz affair is either one of the most or the least effective disinformation campaigns launched against the UFO community. But as with our Men in Black story, this is dependent on where you personally draw your line in this debate. I will focus today, like both Mirage Men and Project Beta, on the case infamous in the UFO community, in which private citizen Benowitz was encouraged by FOC agent Doty to investigate strange sightings from the area as a potential extraterrestrial visitation. What's more, in order to strengthen this narrative, advice was sought by those on the cutting edge of the UFO research field and this information was used to falsify evidence for Benowitz to find and feed back into the UFO community at large. This campaign resulted in Benowitz's complete break from reality and debatably contributed to his untimely death. I will point out now that the US Air Force has neither confirmed nor denied the story, nor responded to allegations that ex-Special Agent Richard Doty of the US Air Force Office of Special Investigations, AFOSI, participated in spreading UFO disinformation. Among his claims, he says he broke into a civilian's home, created hoax documents, and lied to two US senators. Some of these are criminal acts that he claims he committed on orders from his superiors in the AFOSI. Much of the following timeline is corroborated by internal documents from Kirtland Air Force Base, received by individuals such as Alejandro Rojas, whose open letter to the US Air Force regarding allegations of UFO disinformation, from which I just quoted, seek tirelessly to this day for answers as to why exactly this campaign was launched against a private citizen. If the events described are even true... Like Chrisman of the Maury Island incident, as you will see, Doty can also be described 
as a kind of locus around which conspiracy theories form. Therefore, everything around him is naturally thrown into doubt. Just another layer of confusion around this story. But let's get on with the story as it is. It all officially begins in the winter of 1979, with Benowitz spotting a formation of multicoloured lights floating above the small mountain range inside Kirtland Air Force Base. Benowitz did not have to try very hard to see these strange lights. They were easily viewable from the second-story deck of his home in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which was within a mile of the base itself. A brilliant engineer and physicist in his own right, Benowitz, along with his company, Thunder Scientific, developed and supplied gauges and compasses and other equipment for the Air Force and NASA from his workshop on the border of Kirtland. From his house he had a good view of the base, yet the regular appearance of these lights piqued his interest. Ultimately they were right to get his and his wife's attention. The lights were flying above the Manzano Weapons Storage Complex, then the largest underground repository of nuclear weapons components in the Western world. The base itself, though mostly unassuming to look at from the outside, was no stranger to hosting strange and top-secret projects. It was suggested as one stop on the journey for German scientists liberated through Operation Paperclip before they could be redistributed to other sites. Its comparative isolation and easy defendability made it in many ways the ideal Air Force base, and the perfect place to hide things in plain sight. And as we already know, when working with conspiracies, a blank slate breeds theories. We are not the first people to associate the base with the UFO story. It had been suggested as a holding facility for flying saucers, even before the Benowitz affair set the community ablaze. For whatever reason... Northern New Mexico was a hotspot for UFO sightings in the 1950s, and this starts to bridge the gap between the mysterious, but still easily explained as military, footage captured from Benowitz's roof. Him being an Air Force contractor and a patriot, why he reached the somewhat bizarre private conclusion that they could only be advanced crafts piloted by extraterrestrials as it turns out, this uneasy contradiction had been at work in Benowitz's mind for a while. He had his own part in UFO history before this, but we will come back to this a little bit later. Nonetheless, he brought the evidence of these lights and transmissions to Kirtland Security's attention on the 24th of October 1980. The head of security for the base passed the matter on to Richard Doty at Afosi. Afosi had jurisdiction over all criminal and security investigations at Air Force facilities. So, for base security commander Colonel Ernest Edwards, this was the correct department to defer to. He had made a passing acquaintance with Richard Doty, and so arbitrarily, it seems, passed the matter off onto him and set the events in motion. Doty moved very quickly, on the 26th of October, just two days later. 
Doty, with the assistance of a scientific advisor, Jerry Miller, interviewed Benowitz at his home and viewed the evidence that he had gathered. This included several recordings supposedly showing high levels of electrical magnetism coming from the Manzano area, as well as several photographs of aerial crafts. Benowitz had an array of instruments pointed at the mountains, reel-to-reel tape recorders, oscillators, and all manner of meters, all attempting to capture the pulses of coded messages that Benowitz believed came with the UFOs. Miller was unconvinced that these readings represented any true UFO threat, and Doty was convinced that Benowitz didn't represent any inherent threat either. And that should have been the end of the story. Yet a couple of weeks later, Benowitz is invited to Kirtland to present what he knows. UFOs, aliens, warts and all. Nobody stops him. They allow him to talk, hoping to find out what he knows through all the noise. By the end of the presentation, it has become apparent that Benowitz is somehow picking up on an experimental transmission coming from the base. The lights and the UFOs he were capturing were purely a coincidence. Yet in Benowitz's mind, it seemed that the Air Force were taking his discovered threat seriously. In the internal records for this meeting, Benowitz is erroneously referred to as Dr. Benowitz, potentially hinting that someone close to the case had had them tampered with and left a clue for those in the know. As far as record goes, Doty was not at this meeting, but his history with obvious forgeries is legendary. And so the official record runs that they allowed Benowitz to present his findings and start to piece together the theory that he was privately harbouring, that he had stumbled across some organised UFO, meaning extraterrestrial, base at Manzano. At the end of the presentation, only a few individuals remain. Benowitz requests help with funding to continue with his research, believing that he has truly stumbled across a threat to the US at large. He is not directly given it, but offered help in applying for funding. It seems that they didn't want to encourage him too far too soon, but to fund his endeavours or to control this funding would allow them to keep him on a tight leash. So where are we at? Instead of brushing Benowitz off in the service of national security, Afosi decided to encourage Benowitz's extraterrestrial line of thought, and Doty was tasked with befriending him and leading him deeper and deeper into his fantasy. The goal, we assume, of this was to allow enough time to find out how he got his information and plug the hole. But if that were truly the case, it would not have metastasized as it did. It could have been a way to simply encourage Benowitz to continue trying to find more information and therefore sort of test the security around the base. But it was allowed to sort of transform in ways that it should not have done. But it seems like this aim was abandoned somewhere along the line. 
As mentioned, this was not Benowitz's first brush with UFOs. Benowitz's initial involvement in the UFO research scene was arguably through Myrna Hansen and through her recounted experiences of abduction. It is through this that Benowitz drew his paranoid through-line, which would expand into his theory of an alien occupation and attack underway underneath the Manzano Mountains. It crossed paths with another paranoid thread gaining strength at that time, the link between the spate of cattle mutilations in the area and the aforementioned rash of sightings at this UFO hotspot. In many ways leading the investigations into these mutilations was Officer Gabe Valdez, and he was present among the many experts and concerned citizens at the Albuquerque Mutilation Conference in 1979, as was Paul Benowitz, just months before he would make his acquaintance with Richard Doty. Benowitz handed Valdez a card for Thunder Scientific and urged him to keep in touch. When Valdez heard of Hansen's horrifying story through his investigations into the mutilation, the first person he called to investigate was Paul Benowitz. Benowitz was, even at this time, a card-carrying member of APRO, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, a famous civilian UFO investigative organization. He had a background in fantastical stories, but Hansen was about to give him a story that might make him reevaluate his involvement in the community. We should point out at this point something which is not immediately obvious when telling Benowitz's story. His theory around the lights was not some spur-of-the-moment assumption that was encouraged and strengthened. More, Doty and those at Afosi would not have been ignorant to Benowitz's background in the UFO community. It seems in fact that they were counting on it. They may have needed someone credible to spread their story, or perhaps it was not so premeditated. But even so, Benowitz was an insider in the UFO community, and this fact was used against him. The campaign against him was in many ways tailored to this fact. Hansen's account of her abduction was recounted by multiple hypnotic regression sessions, during which time Benowitz and the psychologist performing the hypnosis, Leo Sprinkle, made pains to insulate Hansen from the rays they believed were still being used by her abductors to influence her conscious mind. They achieved this with copious layers of strong tin foil barbecue strength. The account of her abduction follows similar lines that we are used to. She comes aware of the occurrence when she arrives home from a trip much later than anticipated. In her hypnotic trance, she pieces together details of an examination, entering onto a strange craft, but crucially, and almost unique for abduction narratives of this era, she remembers seeing a struggling cow being pulled onto the craft via tractor beam. Her son and travelling companion, when questioned, remembers little except the panicked bellowing of the cow. Hansen is sure that after her ordeal, a device had been implanted into her neck to control her thoughts. 
Upon examination, a growth was found in this area, but could not be confirmed to be any alien device. The craft then, instead of bolting off into the atmosphere, disappeared beneath ground, an idea that excited Benowitz, and would reappear much later in the story, under a slightly different guise. But if all this sounds familiar, it is because this account, and rumours around the account, as they were spread through the community, came to influence the foundation of the abduction narrative, as decisively as the Betty and Barney Hill and Travis Walton abductions did. Even if the explicit link between Benowitz, the cattle mutilation angle, Sprinkle and Valdez, is not now common knowledge. But Benowitz was not the only figure in the UFO community ensnared in this campaign. On the 17th of November, 1980, Bill Moore was summoned to Afosi's offices to tell them all that he knew about UFO research. This is only weeks after Benowitz's encounter with Doty. Moore had, almost by pure accident and coincidence, been the first to collect together the dozens of fractured and half-forgotten accounts of those who witnessed the event later known only by its location, Roswell. It goes without saying just how influential this account would be on the UFO community. He was a valuable pawn in this game. In return for Moore's help, Doty showed Moore a supposedly classified internal Afosi document with reference to Benowitz and Project Aquarius. In February of 1981, Moore was asked to hand an altered version of this document to Benowitz, which stated that the case on Benowitz is being monitored with restricted access to MJ-12. The document has since proven to be a fake and a bad one at that, but it was made clear to Moore that if he didn't cooperate in his campaign against Benowitz, then any access that he had gained, any progress he had made at getting to the truth of the matter would be lost. Although he knew that he was participating in a campaign to deceive Benowitz, making him believe he was being monitored as part of a larger body of work into UFOs, for Benowitz, it was the proof that he had been waiting for. If you're at all familiar with the UFO community, some of the phrases from this bogus document will be instantly familiar. Project Aquarius, for example, and MJ-12 were concepts that would reappear in multiple forged documents and divide the UFO community in the coming decades. It is believed by some that this is the first reference to some of these concepts and that they may be the handiwork of our Richard Doty. But what is clear from even this very brief summary is that Moore very immediately involved himself in a very complicated situation in which any movement he made seemed to draw him into a sort of quicksand. But again, if you look closer, it seems that even Moore's involvement in this wasn't by accident that it may in fact have been part of a larger plan. This may have not even been the first time that Moore crossed paths with Doty, or even the first time that he had been sort of baited 
into participating in this disinformation campaign against the UFO community. My account of this comes from Project Beta again, but I include it as, although it is a little bit of an aside, I think it gets the point across that this was not an isolated series of events. There seems to be evidence, although how trustworthy this evidence is is unclear, that Afosi and Doty in particular had been experimenting with feeding info into the UFO community for some time, that his tactics with Benevitz weren't entirely impulsive, but maybe an extension of the tactics that he'd already been refining. Doty, when interviewed on the subject recently, usually is very dismissive and just says he was just trying to do his job, he was just trying to do as his superiors had tasked him, which was to make sure that the information Benowitz had didn't get out into the public. But there is mounting evidence that Doty's methods for this may have had sort of a personal bent, or at the very least he was sort of working on a personal project or personal methods as he was doing that. But this aside, this event I'm referring to is the receipt of the Weitzel letter. I apologise for my pronunciation. In July of 1980, before Moore was involved in the Benowitz affair, or before the Benowitz affair had even begun, a letter with no return address arrives at APRO, an organisation, as we've mentioned, both Benowitz and Moore were members of. But what prevented the letter from ending up in the bin immediately was the fact that it contained quite definite names and places, information that could be verified, and Moore was determined to try to do this. Craig Weitzel of the Civil Air Patrol had kept his account secret until recently for his own safety. What he and ten other individuals on his training exercise had seen was a craft landing in a clearing close to their training area. They then observed an individual dressed in a metallic suit depart the craft and walk a few feet away. Then after a few moments it returned to the craft and took off. When the training group returned to Kirtland, base security debriefed them. The next day, a man in a dark suit with black hair and sunglasses visited Weitzel. Mr Hutch told Weitzel, not to mention the sightings or pictures to anyone, as he had taken some pictures of the craft and individuals. The Air Force was keeping the remains of a crashed UFO in the Manzano storage complex, and this information was a closely guarded secret. When Moore managed to get in touch with this named young cadet, they spoke briefly on the phone. Although he confirmed seeing a strange craft, he said that he had never taken any pictures of it. He was never visited by the men in black, and it had occurred far from New Mexico. He also denied writing the letter entirely. It seems clear that this letter was a little nugget of truth wrapped up for the UFO community in exactly the kind of format they expected. By our previous definition classic disinformation, and seemingly classic doty. But even more tantalising was the report of the Men in Black incident in a letter, apparently reported to Kirtland Air 
base security officer, Mr. Dodie. Again, make note of the slight spelling difference, similar to our Benowitz and Dr. Benowitz in the official records around his meeting at Kirtland. Certainly this event can be viewed in many ways as a deliberate marked card, or if we're generous, as a sly indication of individuals who may have access to the truth, minus all the confusion. This latter angle was the one that was pressed with more. After a clandestine meeting at a diner, his new shadow acquaintance primed him with the lie that they would use to float this entire campaign. He represented a group of intelligence agents in the US government who were tired of the secrecy surrounding the UFO subject and were eager to release more accurate information to the public. Their intent was to do this through the reputable researchers in the UFO field and trickle out information slowly, and they wanted Moore's help in this. In return, he was to share all that he knew. This initial meeting was probably not with Doty, and Moore was well aware how easy he could get bogged down in this devil's bargain. But with his new friends in Doty, and the first figure he nicknamed the Falcon, Moore was to control the trickle of this information disclosed from the very core of the US government. Although he didn't know it at the time, Moore's agreement to this bargain would later involve him in the campaign against Benowitz. It was not long before he was totally out of his depth and working against his own values and community. As with Benowitz, these events would change his life forever and he would never be able to undo the damage done. Now that we have set up our main players in this rather lengthy (laughs) sort of prologue, I will continue this discussion next week, as there is too much for me to cover in one week. I don't want to skim over anything, as the sheer weight of contradictory ideas here is part of the point of this disinformation campaign. I want to include as much information as I can to help tell a coherent story, but it's one of those stories that the more you look into it, every fresh angle seems to sort of change your perspective on it. It is all too easy to get completely bogged down in it, and I'm not sure I totally succeeded in avoiding this, but I will be back next week to continue to explore the Benoit's affair and the sheer lengths gone to to deceive Paul and push him down a path that was by now severely affecting his health and life. It is a bit of a black spot on the UFO community's history, and as mentioned, a number of the key players were their own guys. I'm not the first person to doubt this story, as mentioned. I owe a huge debt to Mark Pilkington, Greg Bishop, and all those such as Alejandro Rojas, whose work to get definitive answers on the subject is still ongoing. This is Sarah from Weird Horizon. You can find me and bother me on Twitter as Weird Horizon and also on Instagram as Weird Horizon Podcast, where you will find updates on my upload schedule and discussions on upcoming topics. I will see you next week. See you soon. Bye.